Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidrick, Michael Hamlet, enjoying a well-earned week off to review Dynamite. What did you make of this week's show? It was one of the worst Dynamites I've ever seen. Yeah. And, you know, there's still going to be some good to great moments on it. They were few and far between, but this was one of the worst Dynamites I've ever seen. It was a sub-dark elevation card. The pay-per-view was obviously the big thing to sell on it. It wasn't really sold with any terrific angles outside of Kenny Omega and Christian Page, uh, Christian Cage. CM Punk's promo was great as ever, but everything else was just so drab. Um, yeah, I wasn't impressed with this at all. I would rather watch Riho, and I've checked her cage match, and she hasn't worked a match in Japan since July, so I'm assuming she's just in America doing nothing. And if it's not Riho, it's Hikaru Shida. I would rather watch either one of those performers than the endless procession of quite boring white men <laughs> that we saw on last night's show. Again, it was sub-dark elevation stuff, and the build towards... All Out primarily consisted of them constantly showing match graphics in the left corner of the screen Mm -hmm. and shouting the matches at you. (laughs) And this happened all of the time. It's weird. We always talk about how stacked the AEW roster is and the poster was released recently and it is and it is and it is. I understand that you can't use everyone on every show, but it just struck me the dissonance between crisis roster stacked and in your mind to try and book it and lay it out because we're marks. And then you see a show like that and you think, well, how stacked can it be? I understand they've got a pay-per-view to build towards. You don't want your best action or your best guys on these shows wrestling, but they've got to do better than this. It was the worst dynamite of the year. There's probably one in dailies that I'm forgetting. But it was one of the worst dynamites of the year at the worst possible time to do it. Yeah, It's the weirdest trend. They always get their best ratings on bad shows. And it's like, surely they're going to get an extra couple of 100,000 on the back of CM Punk appearing on his first ever Dynamite. And this is what you deliver. Odd, bad, 
but it's dynamite. It can't be atrocious. There was some great stuff on it. Yeah, yet again, it's one of those things where we talk about grading on a curve. This was, without doubt, the worst dynamite this year, in my opinion. And yet, like you say, still wasn't all bad. Like you say, the CM Punk stuff, and it was still highlights in some of the matches, which we'll obviously get into. But it did sort of just pass me by this show. And we've, I mean, to be fair, we've said this before. We've looked at the card and gone... I'm not sure about that, but I think that yesterday's preview was the most that I've sat here with you and you've gone, I don't really know what they're doing here. Like, you know, obviously we can't book surprise segments and stuff that they're going to have and, and Punk, you know, showing up and, and talking about not just Darby Allen, but the talent that they've got and the MJF, Chris Jericho stuff was quite enjoyable too. But you, you sort of red flagged it yesterday and I, I completely agree with you, especially, I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but I was sat there... This morning, afterwards, having my breakfast, thinking, why don't they just hoyer? I mean, I know they had several multi-man matches on this show, but why don't they hoyer Young Bucks match on there, or a, you know, a pack match, or something like that? Like you say, that you go, just a dominant win, and you go, and these guys are going to be wrestling all out in two weeks. Well, that's exactly right. The idea is you're trying to build Pack versus Andrade as this dream match. And it doesn't really feel like that because the Seidel match was a gentleman's three. If that and the Omega match was a four, which by Omega standards is kind of a disappointment. People know what they're getting with White versus Marshall. Why book an absolutely atrocious, by the way, angle come match? Look at my review of that entire match. It's one sentence. It's what happened at the finish. I was like, I'm not writing about anything else that happened on this. I don't. I know they have to tell every story. But why not, as you say, have Andrade and or Pac work a banger to convince people, oh, they are going to have a better banger at the pay-per-view? Because right now, the prevailing feeling is, at least from my perspective and maybe a few others, Andrade ain't what he was in 2018. People are a little bit worried that he's washed or just doesn't care anymore or he's just strategically made an error by becoming a generic body guy, you want to add juice to a match people are a little bit worried about rather than needlessly build something that the story's already been told and is going to go three minutes. Mm. Weird choices, bad execution, a genuinely quite dumb show to put on when you know you've got the extra eyeballs with Mm. CM Punk. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in their defense, like like you say, I'm just looking at this card, like I'd have put... I'm just looking at someone from, like, the factory that we could use. You're not going to use QT Marshall and maybe... But Aaron Solo in a match, five-minute match with Pac, and Pac just does all of his big stuff. That'd be great or something like that. And, uh, you know, you could do maybe the Gun Club versus the Young Bucks. It's kind of a bit out there, but it's just a case, a showcase for them to be knobheads rather than just sort of running in and shoving. Because, uh, that was going to say, sorry. In their defence... Uh, maybe they thought, and we probably did expect better things from Lucha Bros versus Parsec Blondes. Yeah, there is that. You can't always guarantee a banger, even though that is the intention. And there is an argument to be made that you want to feature associates of the people who are feuding because the matches make more sense on that basis, hence why you get Gun Club, I guess, versus QT Marshall because Billy Gunn is in the Nightmare Factory and a lot of these lads mm-hmm. are. Yeah. It's still boring. <laughs> it's still, I'd rather have a for the sake of it banger than something that's boring and it kind of makes sense in the parameters of the storyline to book that match. But then what does that say about the storyline? And that's the core problem. 
It, it, I now realise that this show led to Rampage, but Rampage's card looks better than this show's ever did. Well, that's a little bit worrying, is it not? Mm. I know they're trying to establish it, and I've got full faith that this company, given its roster, given its storytelling, given the fact that they allow the roster a lot of leeway creatively to tell those stories, they'll be fine with three hours. But Rampage already has had a knock-on effect on the quality of Dynamite for me. Mm. Uh, well, uh, this was, I wish there was a microcosm of this disappointing show. Let's start with the opener, Orange Cassidy versus Matt Hardy. Um, they did the, the, the usual shtick of uh, the, the, the kicks from Orange Cassidy compared to the delete chant to start off with. Uh, Matt Hardy puts his hands, pulls, pulls his hands out of his pockets uh, to reveal money. Uh, and Orange Cassidy drops, drop kicks it out of his hands uh, and then goes for a big tope to the outside. But Matt Hardy catches him, hits a side effect on the floor, weakens his back. That was the story of the match. Uh, and when it comes to Orange Cassidy, uh, Hardy mocks his kicks, hits an elbow drop for a two count, suplexes Orange Cassidy several times. Uh, and then Hardy goes around the ring just collecting the money that he's dropped. Uh, Orange Cassidy goes for a beach break, but uh, Hardy fought, fights out because of the injured back of Orange Cassidy's. He hits a splash mountain for two instead, and then Orange Cassidy counters a twist of fate, sends Hardy to the floor, hits that big tope, uh, big crossbody and a float over DDT. In the monk stall, this, I think I think it was the crossbody. He lands right on Matt Hardy's nose, busts it wide open, may have a broken nose for all we know, uh, but they continue the match. Um, with a very bloody Matt Hardy. They fight on the top rope. Uh, Orange sends Hardy down. Uh, he does Jeff Hardy's pose, and then it's a hands-in-pocket swanton one, which did look spectacular, to be fair. Goes for the twist of fate. Hardy counters out of it, hits a diving elbow drop for a two-count. Uh, Orange comes back, hits a twist of fate. He gets a near fall, but Hardy dodges the Orange punch, goes for that leech submission thing of his, but Orange manages to counter it and uses a hands-in-the-pockets cradle to steal one. What did you think of this opener? Uh, right. My take on this is if this match happened anywhere else except the opener, I would have had way more time for it. There were some fun elements to it. As you said, they told a nice kind of immersive story. I legitimately popped my tits off when Matt Hardy took his hands out of his pockets and had loads of money in yes. it. I popped daft. It was the perfect visual and spot that these two characters could have worked together. The issue is that because it's Matt Hardy, why put Matt Hardy in the bloody work rate opener? There wasn't a work rate opener. There wasn't a main event. That's, that's the thing. That's, the thing yeah, like, that's a really good point. A lot of the stuff that is quite boring, but that you need to do to tell a coherent story in a match with Matt Hardy, at least the stuff that ordinarily you would watch with one eye because you get it, you know, it has to happen that would take place in picture-in-picture picture was actually happening in Dynamite without an yes. advert break. So the match was quite slow and functional because of the story they were telling. And as a result, I was just bored within seven minutes of Dynamite, and I literally don't think that has ever happened. No. We've had uneven Dynamites where there's been disasters and triumphs on the same show. We've had seven out of ten Dynamites where it's like, oh, they've missed the mark here a little bit. I'm pretty certain this is the most boring Dynamite opener of all time. When Dynamite's bad, it only becomes bad later on in the show. We've talked a lot about the second hour sag. Uh, I was like looking at my phone mm. within six minutes. That's stupid, man. They should not be making people do that. Yeah, it was... Some of it was fun. I liked the finish. I did think they worked hard, and Matt Hardy did pop me a little bit, but this was not an opener, and it 
failed as an opener where it might have succeeded as, this isn't the greatest thing I've ever seen, but I'm enjoying this dynamite, so I'll stay through picture and picture. On a show where you could have Ray Phoenix running around all over the place to open the show. Exactly, exactly. But looking at the next match, which you'll get to, maybe Varsity Blondes weren't ready for that spot. Fair point. Uh, we had a uh, Malachi Black promo agreeing with Arn Anderson, basically saying that Brock is Brock Anderson is in over his head, uh, and he said, "All you need to do, Brock, bell rings, take the take the count out, take the DQ sort of thing, uh, apologize effectively, because if that doesn't happen, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your dad. I'm going to kill Cody. I'm going to just take anyone out remotely associated with the Nightmare Family to tease the main event later on in the evening. He's got a great presence about him. Great presence, great aura. This Sinita stuff's really quite clever. He was disgusted by Cody's pride. He's now disgusted by the sins of the father. Like He applies a lot of thought to this, does Malachi Black. And I enjoyed this bit probably more than the actual main event. (laughs) Uh, then we got Chris Jericho coming out. He was going to address his future, does the big Judas entrance, uh, talks about being disappointed, losing to MJF for the third time. It was, of course, the second time in singles competition, third time overall, and even worse than losing to MJF, he tapped out. He put himself through all that punishment because he had to, though. That's what he does. And he talked about just wanting to have one more shot had to beat MJF. It's like a mantra running through his head. Beat MJF, beat MJF, beat MJF. So he suggested one more match at All Out. If he can't beat MJF, maybe he doesn't belong in AEW anymore. He said if MJF beats him, he will never wrestle in AEW again. I did like the stipulation, the way he presented it, not just saying, I'll not wrestle anymore in AEW, but saying, I'm not going to leave. I'm just going to go behind the commentary table because, yeah, that makes it far more believable than just he's going to disappear from AEW Forever. Out comes MJF to respond to this. He's got an MJF3 Blow Zero shirt on. Wonderful stuff. He says, look, this is embarrassing. Just leave me alone. You're obsessed, man. Um, he said, the only reason you're obsessed with me is the fact that you need the rub from the fastest rising star in professional wrestling. But I know he said he was never going to wrestle Chris Jericho again, but he said, look, being able to say I tapped out Chris Jericho is cool, Being able to say, I ended Chris Jericho is legendary. And he accepted telling Jericho to be careful because he's better than him and he knows it. I don't want another match between these two, if I'm being brutally honest. I really thought the Dynamite main event was great. And one of the reasons why I thought it was great is that they really told the story of MJF isn't the next Chris Jericho he tried some of his tricks. They didn't pan out. He's just going to tap him out with the Fujiwara on bar, clean in the middle, thus becoming not the next Chris Jericho, but the very first MJF. If that was the end of the story, and I really kind of thought it was, delightful. You've told something elegant. You've told this big, sprawling, ambitious, intricate saga that's held people's attention for a full year. This feels like one match too many, and I'm worried that Chris Jericho saves his career MJF can't justifiably say, well, fine, you did that because you had to do that for the sake of your career. It's still 3-1, I win the feud. After that amount of time, this feels a little bit, I don't know, not like the easy way out, but maybe. Mm. Um, Tell you what I do love, and if this is the reason why they did it, then brilliant. Everyone was like, oh, the four-man booth. Are you kidding me? With like, Chris Jericho is quite a boisterous character. 
when there's three people, including Jericho, four, including Jericho, if this was a way to cast doubt over the outcome this entire time by having it feel like, I'll just join commentary out of nowhere would have felt like a little bit. The fact that this is pre-established rule that he has that he could like formally settle into having been established on the very first rampage, you know, he's done commentary before. That's a really nice storyline detail. The promo delivery here was great. Look, I think the feud should have ended there. But the thing with this stipulation and with how over Chris Jericho is, it is going to be so loud and over on the night. It was a bit burnt out, that dynamite, wasn't it? When they got to that main event, it was still received very well, but it was like so much had happened previously. I'm not suggesting that they never had this plan in, in, in the original plans of this, but it did feel like, you know, it was a definitive conclusion to this feud, but it wasn't necessarily received as such because that crowd had had so much stuff going on and there was rampage teasers and blah, blah, blah. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's fair. Look, the stakes how much heat MGF can generate, how over Chris Jericho is, all of this will converge into a match all out that when it happens, irrespective of the result, and I'm not suggesting for one second that MGF gets buried for this or it's all been a waste of time, they've just about managed with the 3-1 deal to make it feel like they've both emerged from all of this with purpose and it was all not for nothing. But... Again, I, I mentioned on the preview yesterday, I love the all-or-nothing gravity to how AEW books. Looking at Hangman Page, even Kenny Omega after Moxley, he was aimless in storylines because wins and losses matter. It's not just one more match after I really liked what I thought was the climax to all this. It's one more match that doesn't matter as much mm. as... Look, if they beat the match on Dynamite, absolutely fair play, I thought it was great. Any shot that Chris Jericho does lose and go just go to do commentary? Um, if he doesn't, there are a not insignificant number of fans, and this is anecdotal as all hell, but it does almost feel like a Chris Jericho retirement tour, and that could be another bow to how great the storyline's been with the labors, with the Hooventude stuff, with the Nick Gage stuff, like one last crazy thing that I can say was cool that I did. Um, I think it will be received as something that could finally be the end of Chris Jericho's career. But I've said this before, that would involve him not hearing Judas again. <laughs> and he sells loving Judas too much. Like, I'm not being funny. The whole idea was, and he missed Rampage last week as a result to sell this. He needed to do some soul searching. He was tortured by losing to MGF. Comes out. And he just loves hearing Judas so much. And it's like, well, you're undermining the heft of that storyline. How much more powerful would this have been? And both men were great in their promo delivery because, of course, they are. How powerful would this have been? How much would this have maybe sold more fans on the prospect of another match between these two if he'd no-sold Judas and was stone-faced and just said something to the effect of, look, I appreciate it deep down, but I just can't possibly put a smile on my face Mm. with what's happened. Like... Him loving Judas, legit, I'm not being facetious here, with how much Chris Jericho loves hearing people sing that song, it totally robs the weight of the retirement step to me. Yeah. How could he possibly go without that? It's his drug. 
I'm not, I'm, I'm not no, being facetious. I get it. I get, completely get where you're coming from. Uh, right, let's move on. Uh, it was the tag team tournament, the Eliminator tournament, uh, semi-final, the other side of the bracket. Lucha Bros versus Varsity Blondes. You had the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers and Brandon Cutler spraying the chair again with the cold spray. Um, potential this had, without question. I'm not sure if it quite delivered on it. Um, the, the winners, of course, go on to face Jurassic Express this Friday on Rampage. Uh, to see who faces the Young Bucks in a steel cage match at All Out. Uh, Griff Garrison, Ray Phoenix, they start off, they sort of go to a bit of a stalemate. So uh, in comes Brian Pillman Jr. and uh, Penta, and they get the zero miedo in the, in his face, and Pillman's having none of it. So he just forearms uh, Penta in the face, gets hit with a thrust kick, hits one of his own, hits up a step-up step Hurricane Rana to take him down, uh, and then Penta comes back with a sling blade. So I think we go into the ad breaks at this point. Later on, uh, Penta and Griff Garrison are fighting on the apron. Pillman hits a springboard drop kick on Penta. Phoenix pulls P- Pillman to the floor, and they hit stereo thrust kicks before Phoenix lands an assisted tope suicida. Uh, and then eventually, they isolate Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, Penta gets involved, and they hit an assisted package pile driver to allow Ray Phoenix to pin him get the victory and go on to face Jurassic Express in the final of this Tag Team Eliminator tournament on Friday on Rampage. Um, post-match, Jurassic Express, who have shown ringside, uh, get in the ring. They very respectful, shake hands, still square off. There's still some animosity there. And the Young Bucks see their opportunity, shove them into each other, basically hoping it's all going to kick off. Uh, but instead, they uh, kick the Young Bucks to the floor and take them out with dives instead. I was quite shocked at the response to this, but maybe it's just how extreme virtually all social media discourse is. I heard this wasn't very good. It was good. Mm. It was a good match, but a merely good Lucha Brothers match is nowhere near good enough. Yeah, Phoenix and Griff Garrison, like the handspring elbow kip up following the big boot. Like that, it was the timing, the athleticism from Phoenix there was absolutely great. Unfortunately, um, Pillman Jr. and Pentagon got lost mm-hmm. during their sequences. They did the big over the ropes high spots at the end, and they all looked impressive. But and they did try to tell the story of Varsity Blondes, Pillman Jr. in particular, in the arena that famously made his dad was a little Mm. bit too over-exuberant. Lovely little touch that was. But at the same time, the work wasn't quite tight enough. Um, Expectations for a Phoenix match are absolutely through the roof. This did not meet them whatsoever. The correct team advances at the very least. We go backstage and Andrade and uh, Chavo are there and they basically say, Pac's good, but Andrade's better. They're going to fight it all out. Indeed, no follow-up on the promise of what the stipulation was. No. So that was odd. They could have at least said Pac was mulling it over. They could have at least reminded people of it. Um, I mean, I, I've got nothing else to add. There's nothing to add. Uh, a women's match not in the usual spot for once on AEW Dynamite. It was Red Velvet versus Jamie Hayter. Uh, Jamie Hayter looked... Uh, Dominant early on in this match, shrugging off a drop kick, fall away slam on Red Velvet, battering uh, with strikes as well. Uh, in the end, though, Velvet baits her out to the floor and hits two huge dives to take us into the break. Um, at this, uh, I'm not sure if this was an ad break or not, but 
uh, Hater throws Velvet into the ring post, and then Britt Baker just got involved. I assume the referee was distracted by Rebel or something. I wasn't didn't quite catch what happened there because yeah, Britt Baker just hoyed Red Velvet into the uh, barricade, and I was like, so that's a DQ. But they, uh, they they do this a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I may. I think it was just maybe the camera work that I didn't see what the referee was taken away with. Cause I can't imagine she just they just stood there and went. Well, this is fine. Um, I mean, they are guilty of it, so. Mm. So, uh, later on in the match, to sort of uh, give this uh, sort of status in it all, Britt Baker gets up on the apron, so Velvet goes over and twats her, takes her out to the floor, uh, but that allows uh, Hater to recover somewhat. Slight, slight botch here. Uh, Red Velvet, again, missing that standing moonsault. I th- assume what was meant to happen is, hits the moonsault, Near fall, Hater pops up and hits the chokebreaker lariat thing. But what actually happened was Red Velvet just missed the moonsault completely and Hater just went, so I guess we're not doing that anymore. And they went straight to the finish. Post-match, uh, Hater and Rebel Reba uh, attack after the match, beat down Red Velvet. Chris Stanley runs out to make the save uh, and she chases off not only uh, Rebel and Hater, but also, of course, Britt Baker, DMD. What do you reckon? I'd like to see them run this back at this point because they had chemistry, but they were completely on different wavelengths yeah. at various points of the match. Um, I was so impressed by Jamie Hayter's individual performance here. Her footwork, her movement, her intent. Like, she's great. She is so great, in fact, that I am desperate at this point for them to fast forward what I expect to be the story beat. Jamie Hayter turns on Britt Baker, thus turning thus turning Britt Baker heel, they have a match. Britt Baker face, sorry. Uh, yeah. Can they not just do that now? Like, seriously, like, <laughs> yeah. next pay-per-view next <laughs> cycle, because haters work here, like, again, just, she looks like she's trying to chin someone. She looks like she's capable of trying to chin someone. Like, stiff, snug, believable, uh, attitude of facials. Like, she could be a great professional mm. wrestler. It'd be the most believable challenger to. I mean, Chris Statland's believable, but I've never been given the the sort of she could beat her. You know, it was just like chase her off here, saved his favorite previously. It's a bit like when Red Velvet, we were just like they're going to fight on Rampage, and yeah. you're like, why, but why should I believe that Red Velvet has any shot of beating DMD? Yeah. Chris Statland has got first pay per view cycle contender written all over her, mm-hmm. and there's an inherent flaw. It's not an inherent flaw, it's an inherent problem with when you're clearly positioning someone to have a lengthy title reign, you know the first person to challenge them isn't going to win. There's no justification for not doing the work. Mm. Um, again, this Baker stuff's so odd. She remains over in spite of it, which I guess is what matters. And, you know, Statlander didn't get booed here, no. which is good. Those are respectful people like Statlander as much. It's not quite as much as Baker. But fast forward through that beat with Jamie Hayter because, Jesus Christ, like, she could be something. My worry at this point, given... And, you know, Rampage might correct this, and, you know, the initial glimpses into Rampage means it might. I don't want to see Jamie Hayter not get a reps in and get loads of work because, I'm telling you, she could be something big. Worrying signs backstage next with the Dark Order. Uh, Evil Ono's cutting a promo. Reassuring everyone's Dark Order's fine. We're a big unit. And sometimes we face obstacles. And then references, of course, a couple of weeks ago when they stayed back or were held back to a certain extent during the beatdown of, of Hangman Page. 
Um, but Alex Reynolds, not happy about this. Furious, blames Uno for, for the beatdown for not getting involved. Uno tells him to stay in John Silver's shadow. And uh, Reynolds it flips out again at this and says, effectively, just because the number one is in your name doesn't make you the new leader. Oh, no. I, I'm, I'm awful watching this. I did to an extent. I think I admire the story beat rather than I feel anything for it. And I don't know if it's like performances. Like, that'd be funny. Like Reynolds, a bit stilted here for me. Mm. I don't really feel it. They're not world-class operators. Very good in the ring. But if you're going to have a real emotional heft to a storyline like this, I need to be convinced by the performances. I'll be lying if I said I got that. In theory, the beloved gang of dorks who made the people you like the person you like the most in Hangman Page feel a bit better about himself. In theory, you should emotionally invest in all this. And I do like how, in a nice, mutual, proper friendship, Hangman Page is going to do for the Dark Order what the Dark Order did for Hangman Page. Mm-hmm. I know what's coming. I like it. It's elegant. It's really nice. Uh, but I need Hangman Page himself to really care. Mm. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash whatculture. Well, let's get to the segment following this with CM Punk. Tony Schiavone just embodying all of us, basically going, oh, God, I get to do it. Here he is, CM Punk. Uh, I did like the uh, Schiavone's God sign behind him. The second best sign at AW Dynamite this week. After, Well, Sam Miller give me an up. That was a nice one as well. After the one on the front row that was just like, 
keep wrestling alive, everyone get vaccinated. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. Please do. Yeah, more of those sorts of signs, <laughs> please. So yes, yeah, CM Punk comes out, the bloody roof comes off yet again, of course. Uh, and Tony Giovanni asks Punk, the, the one thing that brought him back to wrestling, to which he responds, I can't hear you, Tony. And I genuinely believe that. I genuinely believe that he's just like, huh? What do you say? Honestly, it's too loud in here. Um, lovely stuff, that. Uh, and he just talks about all the young talent in AEW, uh, particularly in that tag team tournament, because he references ben, uh, Ray Phoenix, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus. But then, of course, turns his attention to Darby Allen. Um, and he, he talks about the question of whether he can still go. And if he can, that question can start being answered by facing someone like Darby Allen. Really like the touch where he said he was going to retire the moniker, the voice of the voiceless, because, yeah, doesn't need to be the voice of the voiceless because they've clearly got a voice here in AEW and the right people listen to that. Uh, Punk says when he was 15, uh, Darby Allen would have been his favorite wrestler because he doesn't fit the mold. He's not the biggest, he's not the strongest, but he's got heart. Damn it. Uh, There's big yes, yes, yes chance. And Punk says, that's not my shtick, but uh, if you're patient, who knows? We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, But he says, all out, he's not here to prove the haters wrong. He's here to prove himself right. And then just after that, he acknowledges and sends a lovely message to his wife, AJ Lee, April, of course. uh, And they, they close out this segment. Great promo, obviously. It's a selling a match that doesn't need selling anymore. It's Dolby Allen versus Punk putting on a poster and print money, effectively, all out. But, ooh, Daniel Bryan! <laughs> I know. This whole thing was great. I said yesterday on the preview that I would like to see a little bit less of Phil Brooks and more of CM Punk going forward. We didn't really get that. I don't care. The thing about him versus Darby Allen is that the mere fact that that match is happening is the story, which makes the episodic build of it quite difficult. CM Punk is going to flatter the hell out of Darby Allen. He's going to give him loads and loads in that match. He's going to give Darby Allen his career highlight. Punk's going to go over the fact that he has personally... Performative people on Twitter are going to say he's squashing young talent. It's going to be horrendous. The fact that he has hand-picked this incredible, unique wrestler to work his first match against, is the story. The result isn't the outcome, if that makes any sense. Yeah. This is a face-versus-face program built on like a really refreshing mutual respect. Punk didn't want to come in, do a heavy-heat angle. He just wanted to wrestle someone he really likes. I think that's admirable. It also doesn't make for the most compelling angle-driven story. So until... Some heel in the near future beats the piss out of CM Punk on Dynamite, which is going to happen, and that heel is going to get over like hell. We are going to get more stuff like this of, basically, isn't it magical how CM Punk's back? Isn't he awesome at cutting promos? Isn't it nice to see him luxuriate in the space where he doesn't have to read from a script or he doesn't have to do it in a stilted time cue way? He can just... Riff on how loud the crowd is. He can talk about Brett Baker. He can say that he loves his wife. It's just nice to see him, to see him nice. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Yes. There's not much more they can do with Punk versus Darby Allen. You don't weld a grudge element to this. No. So for now, I'm more than happy. <laughs> I'm more straighter edge than you are. Yeah, I wish I, wish, I wish I was Bruce Forsyth. I'd have a chin there. <laughs> but no, this is really uh, good, nice... 
His manipulation of the audience is great. The da- Brian Danielson tease, which he queued up as well, uh, that was really, really like, of course it was amazing. Um, it's a good job, I guess. No one's going to turn on Punk. No one's going to get bored of Punk. That's the magic of CM Punk. It's kind of a good job that he didn't debut two months ago because yeah, there's not much you can do with this. So what they're doing with it is great. I said this in the news today with Andy. It's, again, sort of not necessarily wider storytelling, actually. It's more just sort of the the less concerning elements of, of AEW, I'd say. Because I said, when he does the little Brian Danielson sort of thing, now, because we've already had the CM Punk thing where they sort of went, we're going to acknowledge it, but we're not going to explicitly say Brian Danielson's all elite sort of thing. You go, well... I've got a good track record to base this on. Because previously, we were there going, maybe it's going to be Punk, maybe it's going to be Lesnar at the pay-per-view when they were teasing it a while back, and it was Christian and Ethan Page, if I remember. And But that was our own fault. They never went, oh, it's going to be Punk, and then it, his name begins with a C, and then it was Christian or whatever. <laughs> so now, when they go, you know, <laughs> I suggested on the nose, I suggested on the news, now, next week, or at All Out, when there's just a lights go out, lights come back up, and there's a goat in tennis gear in the middle of the ring, you go, oh, I get all the references here. I guess what they're teasing. Like, that's that's the beauty of, of this, you know, <laughs> re- 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 repeating on itself, effectively. Goat with, like, a Federer headband. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but that's the beauty of it, isn't it? It's because you, you don't go, oh, maybe they haven't got Brian Danielson. You're like, well, they have. But they're also very aware that they don't have to go it's going to be there because look at the bloody rampage number. Absolutely. This is an aside, but my God, it won't matter. If Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, does the shock surprise debut with any of this viral marketing campaign, it's still going to blow the roof off. Everyone's tits are still going to explode. But you are running the risk of, you want Danielson to come in at the same stature as Punk. You genuinely do. But if they don't do something as similarly ambitious and as inspired as the punk viral marketing campaign, you're kind of implicitly telling your audience that he's not as big a star. What I'm getting at is that this punk stuff, the last month, has been too good and too effective <laughs> because like, no one else is going to stand a chance of appearing as much of a star that he does in this promotion right now. They're too good. Apart from this dynamite, which is pretty bad. <laughs> uh, we got a, a promo from Miro, who can just have 30 seconds and seems like the most terrifying, not to reuse a repeater tape, but Thanos-esque, like, oh, God, he's turned his attention to this guy now. He said, look, I was wrong uh, about Fuego del Sol, but I don't forgive Eddie Kingston. I'm going to find him. I'm the redeemer. My wife will love me because I am the champion. And he said, bring me the Mad King before I burn this place to the ground. It's a Goddamn Game of Thrones line. And he appears like someone who would kill you in Game of Thrones. He is, in 30-second bursts, prestige television, Mm. Miro. Is this this the greatest turnaround ever? (laughs) Could be. Like, Hamlet slacked me a message the other day saying, here, remember this. And it was Miro with his bleach blonde buzz cut in Gucci. Mm. And I, I literally, I'm telling you, was like, you know those old pictures of Ric Flair when he's like the rock man from friggin' Fantastic Four and you see like Austin with uh, hair. the hair <laughs> and you see like 
I don't know, just these pictures. Like, I can't believe wrestlers used to look like that. Mm. In eight months, I'm already getting that vibe from Miro with that get up. Yeah. It's ridiculous how awesome this turnaround has been. Uh, then we got the uh, the wingmen, Ryan Nemeth, Cesar Bononi, and J.D. Drake with Peter Avalon on the outside versus John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, and Darby Allen with Sting on the outside. Uh, and, yeah, it was a, a battering, basically, this. There was some offense that we saw, you know, J.D. Drake going up against uh, Darby Allen just moves out of the way to stop a dive at one point. And personification of this match, Eddie Kingston gets in, Ryan Nemeth gets in, and I think chops him and then... Wiggles his dick about a bit or something. Kingston's just like, I'm not having this. Just just takes him out with a single chop. In comes Cesar Bononi. Uh, has a bit of a shoulder tackle battle with Kingston. In comes Moxley to help him help take him out and we go to break. Later on, uh, Ryan Nemeth distracts uh, Kingston to allow Drake to take control. But then Moxley just goes, I'll just bite him. Just bite J.D. Drake's face. Uh, as Kingston tags in Darby Allen, who hits a code red. Um... He's dominating. He hits the ropes, though. He gets tripped by Peter Avalon, who thinks he's the cock of the walk sort of thing. Turns around. There's Sting. There's Sting. And John Moxley. And Eddie Kingston. You done fucked up now. Uh, beat him down. Right now, it brings a chair into the ring. Moxley and Kingston just look at him and go, not today, kid. Take him out. Uh, there's All that's left is Darby Allen, J.D. Drake, and Darby Allen hits his stunner. Coffin drop, one, two, three. But before Dolby Allen has a chance to celebrate, one of my new favorite wrestlers, Daniel Garcia slides in, beats Dolby Allen down and legs it before Sting, Moxley or Kingston could do anything about it. I really like Daniel Garcia and, and, and Dolby Allen as, as a match. But what did you think of the, the three on three? Well, they did it like three weeks ago. Yeah. And it was not as great as it could have been. So maybe they think, well, let's just make it as great yeah. as it could be. Um, why the hell not? Garcia has established himself now that if they do this after the punk match, just to let people know, I hate get your heat back as a thing because it feels like they take the piss. They're not. He's just, Dobby Allen's going to lose to a star in Chicago. It's fine. Is a sort of first opponent after punk, just to let people know we haven't forgotten about him. He's class. He is, he's going to have a 12 minute opener on dynamite, whatever mate. I hate the wingmen. <laughs> I, I hate them. Like I feel bad because they're really trying hard. They think they've got a nice act going. Thought has been put into it. You can tell that they like like dressing ridiculously and they probably have a nice time like trying to pop each other with like their ridiculous outfits. They've got some shtick that they've worked on. Mate, I, I hate it. It you ever like obviously me and you have probably never suffered from this problem, but I'm trying to put my um I'm trying to come from the perspective of someone with knee patter, right? Okay, yeah. Knee yeah. banner. So let's just pretend we don't have any. Mm -hmm. Bit difficult. <laughs> have you ever, I'm winking, like just told a joke that you thought was class? Yeah. And people are polite about it, but you don't get the laugh. Yeah, you get the, you, I tell you what, you, what laugh you get. It's this. I'm not sure if the mic's going to pick it up. Like, it's like you breathe through your nose. Like, <laughs> yeah, good. Like a nod. And you're like, well, that's not what I wanted. I wanted falling off your chair sort of thing. Ah! Yeah, exactly. The wingmen of that. That's a great comparison. Like, Garcia in 2.0 had so much organic charm, and they'd literally just teamed together for the first time, probably given their respective career paths on that dynamite. This was nowhere near as fun. It was so much goddamn fun. This feels like... It was the wish version of 
2.0 and Garcia. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I hate the wingmen. I just don't think the joke lands. This match barely got a reaction as well. And mm. if you look at the star power, and if you look at how wonderful a collection of people on that baby face corner are, oh, man, I don't think I'm alone in the wingmen. It just it didn't work. They would have been better off. Because it's, like, it's not like we've got to protect them, so we've got to give them a... They'd have been better off just having every single one of them hit a finish. Sting a splash on, on Avalon, a spinning back fist or whatever it's called from, from Kingston, paradigm shift, and then, then you hit this coffin drop. That'd be probably more of a popper than just, oh, they've isolated J.D. Drake. It's like, okay. Anyway, uh, backstage, uh, take on T. It was about to be asked about the Casino Battle Royal. They've added a whole load of competitors into that. Uh, but the bunny walks up and says, hey, don't, you don't need to do this. You can join the... The HFO, the Hardy family officers, uh, to which Conti rips up the contract. Bunny slaps her, and they get pulled apart as they brawl to presumably lead into some aspect of a storyline in the Casino Battle Royale because it needs something, doesn't it? Mm, that's a thing. Does it need something? And I guess the answer is yes. You can play with whatever they do on Rampage and the Battle Royale. And, you know, it's just... It's an advert. It's a reminder. Oh, we're getting this all out, so here's a match to build it. Like, the most basic angle imaginable. This is the kind of stuff I would bury within an inch of its unambitious life on NXT. So I'll bury it here. Nothing to it. But, you know, I think Bunny's been underrated, and I've been desperate to see Ty Conti on telly, so I'll enjoy it when that happens. But as a build, it was, like, so obligatory. I love that word. I love that word as a weapon. Uh, Dax Harwood provides a bit of an update on Cash Wheeler. Uh, talks about the nerves in his arm not working the way that they should. But they are going to have one more match. They've got the approval for it. In walks Cash, uh, who says they're not going to stop until they get their pound of flesh. Top guys out. And anyone with a weak stomach should not check out Cash Wheeler's Twitter. Because, my God, that injury, I thought it was bad. I was, it was bad enough when I saw that freeze frame when they recapped what happened <gasps> goodness me get well soon cash wheeler uh he's got his arm all taped up now but that it was a horror injury i know we talked about it at the time but just to reiterate now i mean great that we get to see you know santana and ortiz versus ftr run back with this awful accident uh informing it but oh my god that Threw me for a loop this morning. Yeah, that was disgusting. So disgusting, in fact, that it makes me doubt what I, in my rational brain, think is an absolutely superb work. A superb work. If Cash Wheeler has nerve damage in his hand, in his arm, which he has to use to lift people up in order to land them safely to the mat, no doctor in their right mind would clear him. This is a work. Mm. Either that or AW's negligent. I would like to think <laughs> yes. it's a work. But the gash was so disgusting. You see, like, colours of, like, your insides that you're not meant to see because they're your insides mm. and they should never be cut open like that. It's not just, like, a bit of red. Like, if it's, like, yellow and stuff, I don't even know what body parts they are. No, it's like when you're watching, like, Casualty here in the UK or any sort of ho- ER hospital drama or whatever, and you're like, okay, I'm in it for the drama. And then, like, and now this is what it looks like if you cut someone open. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not here for this. It's a yellow bit. Why is that blue? It's like all the bloody pimple popper people. Who watches that stuff? So, realistically, if, like, this injury would be, like, horrible enough to sell, but it's not like a bone break, 
it's not like a gradual deterioration of like a body part, like a Shawn Michaels back or whatever. So they have to really think of something to make it seem like it's not something that, oh, it sucked, but you can close it up. Mm. The nerve damage thing is a work, and it's a tremendous one. But still, get well soon, gas reading, because that looked, oh. Uh, right, time for a Kenny Omega promo. He comes out, he's got Don Callis, he's got Nakazawa, he's got Brandon Cutler, he's got all the usual sort of people there. Tony Schiavone goes to interview them. No, that's not happening. Don Callis grabs the microwave for him. Uh, so he says, all out, they're going to take Christian Cage out once and for all. Out comes Christian, uh, and he plays the video that you may have seen on the uh, Road to Dynamite this week, uh, recapping the history of Don Callis booking Christian and then firing him immediately, effectively. Uh, and Christian said, if I'm that video hasn't clarified, you're a carny piece of sh-. Basically, he's, he's getting that line over. It's going to be on a T-shirt. Um, Don Callis likens himself to Vern Gagne, to Bill Watts, to Eddie Graham, to Vince McMahon, but says Kenny Omega is no Greg Gagne. You should have said Shane McMahon. He bottled the line. Yeah, I know, that's a good, very good point. I mean, this is perfect, but you bottled that. I was shocked. Uh, Christian says he's not sure if it was more pathetic that Callis manipulated 10-year-old Kenny Omega <laughs> or that adult Kenny still buys it. Uh, Callis says, all that, he's furious. He's taking his jacket off. I'll tell you, Christian. Uh, all out, you're going to find out what I've known my entire career. You are second best. This Flips Christian out, he attacks, numbers advantage, but thankfully the elite hunter, Frankie Kazarian, runs out to make the save and set up the match for Rampage this week. Can you hear this? Will this get picked up? Maybe not. Maybe not. Well, I'm rubbing my hands together at the prospect of being able to be consistent. And uh, moreover, get proven correct. <laughs> I feel like Dennis Reynolds when I'm erect at the prospect of this. Because of the implications. <laughs> like, my God. This was so great. And it proves my wonderful, prescient <laughs> takes so correct. Cast your mind back to the podcasts of early 2020 before the world changed. And Edge does the great surprise appearance at the Rumble. In that moment in itself, albeit not captured by that rodent Kevin Dunn. Is ready for take four, ready three, take three. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it must be like yeah. in the truck. This stupid bloody bastard. I hate Kevin Dunn. Anyway, so even though they haven't filmed it correctly, <laughs> just thinking about Kevin Dunn in the production truck now. Bitch. Um it's still a magical moment, edges back. They do a great follow-up angle on Raw. Then we start to hear the word grit. <laughs> grit. I need to prove that I've still got the grit to be in this business. I've got the grit to be in this business. <laughs> <laughs> it's devolving that, that we don't even say words. It's like the South Park guy. Yeah. <laughs> I've got I'm a business. The only word you pick out is grit. <laughs> So Edge is, and he's done this quite a bit, where against Roman Reigns, he's winning the Rumble. It's like, can I still be the old Edge? Can I still do this at the high level? He's not like a butt rock singer, but you know like you know what I mean? Yeah. He's been telling you for about a year and a half at this point that he's still got it, that he can still go, that he's this old man who came back. 
and it's not been entertaining in the least. Some mm. of the matches have been high level. Like I love the empty arena one with Edge, not uh, with Randy Orton, not WrestleMania, mind Ooh. you. But the greatest wrestling match ever was one of the greatest modern WWE matches ever. I'll stand by that. The triple threat at Mania was great. The Rollins match at SummerSlam was good. Everything on telly has been so intense and intense. And I'm telling you how great I used to be and can still be. And I'm just the best and you need to prove yourself against me. Christian, in quite gloriously entertaining contrast, is simply showing you by doing some really entertaining stuff with Kenny Omega. What I love about this is, right, they are not patronizing you at all. They know, right, Hangman Page has got a new addition to his family. Congratulations to him and all that. Good luck, based on my experience. (laughs) So they thought, right, okay, we need a match. Let's make it make sense. Christian was obviously going to do a big dynamite main event thing. So they thought, let's do it with Christian Cage. It's been built quite heavily. And it ties into the Young Bucks, Lucha, uh, Jurassic Express. So it's all been nice. They haven't patronized the audience by building Christian Cage up as this big pay-per-view, genuine guy who's going to win him. Going to win him? Going to beat him? Because no one's going to buy that. And it would also be a bit edge. By that, I mean boring. So instead, they thought, right, should we just tell a really entertaining story mm. and make it really funny? And they've done that instead. And I think it's, the whole thing's been absolutely great. In addition, you've obviously had Christian beat Omega for the Impact title. So there is the shred. There is the shred of doubt. There is going to be some wonderful moments in the match at All Out where you think, well, he's done it before. And when he does the exact same move, that near fall is going to be mwah. So I love the concept and I love the approach to this story. I think it's been magnificent. And on the subject of magnificent, Don Callis. Oh. Using that footage is so inspired from the IWA, I think it's called, the Canadian Fed that um, Callis was the booker and star of. The implication that this, incre- like the even that two seconds you see of Christian Cage with his long hair, giving it, like, the belt things with his arm, and, mm. like, he looks like a star in 1996 in, like, Manitoba, Canada. Mm. I love the implication that Don Callis has took one look at this mint breakthrough match that he had apparently had with Lance Storm and went, uh, I'm the star here, pal. You can go to America <laughs> and succeed there. This is my place. The irreverent bit where it's, like, in order to mask the idea that, oh, Christ, this kid's too hot. Get out of my territory. I've got someone else. I don't need him. It's not because I'm, you know, unsettled by how good he could be, but I don't need him. I've got somebody else. All right, who's this? Kenny Omega? He's 10, (laughs) but it's fine. It's so funny, man. It's so funny. Don Callis' performance was unbelievable. Unbelievable. So funny. Christian Cage is so great with his deadpans. Kenny Omega with his You Think You Know Me stuff. They've told a wonderful story. They've told a hilarious story. Following the events of Rampage, they've also told a dramatic story. This is my favorite thing on this entire show, and CM Punk was on it. I think if I'd have told you a few months back, they're going to do, you know, we were talking, we're like, well, they have to do Hangman Page, you know, kid stuff aside. And they pulled this out their ass as well. Yeah. Because you, you were you were like, oh, they can't do Christian Cage versus K. You would have rolled your eyes, but I think they've done People a did. job. Yeah. Fair play. They've pulled us out of their arse. Like, my God. If anything, they shouldn't do long-term booking. 
If you look at the things they've had to do when they've changed course through outside circumstances, Hangman Page having the kid has resulted in this impossibly entertaining and dramatic Omega Cage stuff. When Archer um, came into contact with someone who had Rona last yeah. year, that gave you Kingston versus Mox, probably the program of last year. Mm. Don't do any long-term booking. Like I'm joking. Please yeah. do. I'm not an idiot. But it just shows how good they are with their backs against the wall. Um, and I put my back against the wall because I would uh, not want to watch the rest of the show. <laughs> well, John Moxley cuts a promo backstage after this. He said he's got a FedEx from Tokyo and the New Japan man who's going to be showing up uh, at All Out is going to be Satoshi Kojima. Uh, Moxley puts him over, says he's a legend, but uh, he's insulted that Kojima feels he can go toe-to-toe with him. Uh, he says once that bell rings, he's got no respect for anyone. And at All Out, Michael Sidgwick... It's going to be a public execution. Who is Satoshi Kojima, first of all, for those who don't know? Uh, for those who don't know, Satoshi Kojima was uh, one of the top stars of one of the worst periods in New Japan's business. I don't want to go on a full rant or a full um, chronological breakdown of New Japan's business, but in the 70s, Inoki was king. In the 80s, Inoki was king. He kind of faded at the background in the 90s when that company got as white hot as any prom- promotion ever. They actually set the gate record, all-time worldwide gate record for how many people bought tickets to a show in 1995. The junior division was so innovative. like it, it was People use the word mind-blowing, and I'm guilty of it in terms of when I say Phoenix do something great. Mm-hmm. This was legitimately... You broke your mind because you didn't know this kind of stuff could happen with Jushin Liger. You had the three musketeers on top. You had interpromotional warfare with the UWFI, which um, inspired the NWO. God damn it, New Japan in the 1990s was so loud, white hot, good, lucrative. And then Inoki decided to just, much like Vince McMahon or even Vince Russo, which are wild comparisons to make, decided to really indulge mm. um, what he liked and just emphasized that, that gave us Enochism, that gave us terrible business, that gave us destroyed wrestler auras, and until Tanahashi was such a charismatic superstar, family-friendly sensation that he actually grew business to, like, a really great level, Satoshi Kojima and uh, Togi Makabe and a handful of others, Tenzan, were, like, the guys who made it credible again, who restored the soul and the credibility like toiling in the background before it blew up again. Um, Kojima is the first guy to hold the IWGP and Triple Crown champions at the, championships at the same time. As a wrestler, he is really versatile, really tough. He's a dad, but he doesn't have that grizzled dad energy as much as uh, Eugene Agata, who also, of course, yeah. deserves all the praise in the world for rescuing um, the Tremendous reputation of New Japan Pro Wrestling in the early to mid 2000s. He was a victim of Enochism as well, famously. Kojima, great striker, great um, technician, so much heart. What are you going to get out of uh, Kojima versus Moxley at All Out? Is I hope he gets a reception. I really hope he does. But even if he doesn't, he's got so much fire and defiance that he will get a reaction at the end. My reaction on that note to this was, ah, it was, I don't want to feel bad about this match. That'd be great, but I do because it's a step down in terms of star power, in terms of dream match appeal from Tanahashi. And then when it became apparent, um, because Shingo got struck down and New Japan needed um, Tanahashi, 
when it became apparent that it wasn't Tanahashi, you see, oh, Ishii's working in America, Suzuki's in America, and then when even Moxley looked a little bit deflated, which didn't help at all, a rare mm. miss from him, but he doesn't want to patronize it either. Look, it's a bad situation, but this is like a really good situation at the same time. I'll need a couple of days to realize, our oh, Christ. Right, build a match now, <laughs> and I'll get into it. Like, Kojima's a legend, he's awesome, so... This will be great, even if it doesn't feel like the best possible dream match yet. Next up, it was the Gun Club versus the Factory. Paul White was on commentary, and QT Marshall taunted Paul White and got rolled up by Billy for the victory. Skip! <laughs> I mean, that, that, there's nothing else I want to talk about in this match. And, uh, for those who don't listen to the Raw review, we do this thing where we do the five-star Raw, uh, the five-star review review, where instead of recapping something that awful on Raw, we instead... Invite our listeners to submit a clip that is short crap and wrestling related to review instead of some of the god-awful things that take place on Monday Night Raw. Never in my life did I think that I would say the word skip on AEW Dynamite. Look, I've seen stuff as average or as pointless or as obligatory, rather. I know it has a purpose to build a match, but it feels obligatory. And I've also watched significantly worse things on Dynamite than this. But my god... This show in itself didn't have the highs that those dynamites did. And by this point, I was just, I, I was wanting it to end. Seriously, like, this is probably the first dynamite show where, because I watch all of it for work, I watch all of it. If I was watching this in my leisure time and I just happened to have a different job, I'd have went, went through the results for the rest of this one. Because mm. it doesn't have a main event. Like, structurally, such a weird show. Uh, before the main event, we got uh, Dan Lambert flanked by uh, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky uh, doing exactly what you expect Dan Lambert to do in this position, uh, blaming the fans for the state of AEW. Uh, they'd rather see a dork that he'd have stuffed into a locker back in high school, uh, proposed to his girlfriend or a loser in skinny jeans, put their hands in their pockets. Talked about millennials and safe spaces and a lack of manliness. Uh, he said, weak men want to want, want to watch meet weak men, and AEW needs real men, and looked to his left and right and said, look, we've got a former MMA fighter turned wrestler, Scorpio Sky. He talked about uh, karate and taekwondo, black belt, Ethan Page. Loved Ethan Page. He's tweeted the gif of this. Takes his sunglasses off, little wink to the camera. Oh, my heart goes all a flutter. Uh, but he said, I hope there's still a chance for the fans. They're going to set an example, basically. I like the fact that he's co-opted this rather than just say, oh, here's... Andre Oloski and Junior Dos Santos, they're going to wrestle now because it would have been a tough thing to do that. Yeah. I can, I can just bury the... Not the match itself, because I thought it was... It got its business done quite well. It was quite fast. Why book something to build to the pay-per-view that's going to last longer than the thing at the pay-per-view? <laughs> that should have told them us a bit of a waste of time there. So that's, you know... Pack be pack. That would be great. Um... I don't know if I like this very much. My favourite thing about this stuff with Lambert and the Men of the Year, Ethan Page's shirt. Oh. People know me, or the people who know me, you don't know us, <laughs> um, but people who've seen my shirts, I love a nice, snazzy, tropical-themed shirt, and Ethan Page, oh, my God. If you listen to this podcast, could you just, and I won't expose it, but could you just, with your burner account on Twitter, I know that nine out of every ten wrestlers has a burner. <laughs> Just, like, send us a link to that. I would love to wear it. You looked wonderful, yeah. if that helps. If I can butter you up. Um, it's a bit much, this. With the verbiage. I understand he's saying it as a heel, so it's fine. 
I don't even buy them as a combo because he's talking about how, like, Scorpio Sky's done a little, he's dabbled in MMA training, as his page. If anything, that should piss him off that they are amateurs at it and they are pretenders. Mm. The whole thing's all over the place. They don't really look right together, but we're going to get, one would presume, at some point, Suzuki Guns, Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer versus the men of the year. What a fun 10 minutes of my life that would be. Yeah, this promo just, I was, I was in a friggin' mood. Mm, yeah, me too, to be fair. Right, let's get to the main event. Brock Anderson versus Malachi Black. Beforehand, Arn Anderson talks about the experience difference, which is uh, one way of putting it, between uh, his son and uh, Malachi Black. He said, Brock's in over his head, but he's an Anderson. He's got guts. But unfortunately, as we were about to discover, gut doesn't always conquer evil, uh, but it'll go down with Brock either way. So the match starts... Sorry, where am where are my manners? Malachi Black makes his, his bonkers in fantastic entrance. Then the match starts, uh, and Brock, as Sidge pitched on the preview yesterday, immediately dives in to attack Malachi Black. He knows that if it's just a straight up fair match, then it's not going to play play out his way. So he just dives and tries to smother Malachi Black, but he recovers. Uh, he puts Brock in the corner, batters him with uh, with strikes. Looks over, Arn's there, Arn's considering throwing in the towel for his son, but no, he throws it on the ground, he drops it to make sure he's not even going to be tempted. Black demands that Arn throws it in, and that allows Brock to recover, and, and he goes for, for, for Black's legs. Uh, Black comes back, throw, spinning heel kick, one, two, three. Post-match, uh, Malachi Black grabs a chair, Arn Anderson gets in the ring, Arn tells him to get rid of it, to which he does, goes to hit the spinning heel kick, uh, Arn Anderson blocks it, so Black just kicks him in the bollocks and hits it again. And post-match, uh, as well after that, out comes Lee Johnson to make the save, and Malachi Black gets out of there. But this was not a main event, you're right. Not a main event? It absolutely isn't the main event. It's the oddest possible thing. Like Malachi Black is a star. He must have pulled one hell of a quarter hour. He must be pulling YouTube numbers for that entrance, which I think he is, because his star power and the buzz he's generated and you know, how super into him everyone seems to be is the only justification for putting him in the spot, but that feels so much more business-like and strategic mm-hmm. rather than something that's going to entertain me and my time and my investment as a main event of a TV program. It wasn't a main event. It was a squash match. that happened to have, like, a star that people are really into at the minute. That doesn't matter. Book a goddamn main event for your TV show. And, look, I love how much faith and intelligence... AEW books its product around in terms of what they think of their fans. My totally unwieldy way of saying that probably makes it not the best idea, but you know what I mean. Like, my God, poor Lee Johnson. He's impressed in short bursts, but he's been presented on TV sporadically, I might add, as a rookie. Yeah. Who, in his sort of breakthrough match, came out to Cody's music. People don't know the music. People just think, all oh, right, okay, he's one of the um, the undercard rookie lads who's going to be a breakthrough talent. And he's really good, but he's a guy who works dark elevation. He can't be making a big save. Like, he can't. It's, it's not a reflection. Why would Black even think about leaving there? I think, I mean, it was, I mean, maybe they sit turn around and say, oh, he wasn't scared of him. He just done what he came to do and decided to leave. Because, like you say, why would you back down when you've just KO'd Brock and his dad. and uh, The problem is, this angle isn't that bad had it not taken place in the main event, just like the opening match wasn't that bad. It just needed an advert for the boring bits in the middle. 
Don't put it in the main event. It's not a main event segment. Lee Johnson, while promising, is not a main event level talent. Odd. Mm. Book a main event for your show. That's 101. Tony's a professor of pro wrestling. He should know better. He's done 101 back in 2019. Mm. He mastered 101 before he even started the show. He's a mega fan. Not of me, of pro wrestling. <laughs> Maybe he is. Maybe. Who knows? I can live in hope. Uh, weird, sometimes actively bad, boring, drab show with some excellent, with at least five excellent promos because they've got great talkers, but we're talking bare minimum stuff here. Bad episode of Dynamite. Let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... The Unbiased. That's not it. It starts and ends here. At M. Sidgwick. <laughs> follow me at Adam Wilbur. I needed to get the followers there. Absolutely. I was absolutely breaking it in case people were going, you and... Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. M. Sidgwick. M. Sidgwick. Follow me. Especially if it's Ethan Page looking for that. I know. Yeah. M. Sidgwick, Ethan. Love that shit, man. Uh, follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts later on today. We're going to be sitting down with Andy Murray to talk all about Bray Wyatt's future potentially in AW or elsewhere. That'll be coming out this afternoon. Uh, and if you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, you get daily wrestling podcasts, as I say, including our AEW Rampage preview, uh, which will be coming out tomorrow with a show that probably looked better than this one, let's be perfectly honest. But this has been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.